I don't think even the shooter thought it was going to be that loud. Our church is built in such a way that our acoustics are really good. When that gun went off the first time, being a shotgun, it really sounded like a bomb went off. You are listening to Backwood. We may be from the backwoods, but we're not all backwards. I'm your host, Jackie Helbert. Thanks for joining us on our first episode. When I was a younger person, I often felt like the Appalachian Mountains were closing in on me, like they were slowly moving in and they were going to crush me. I felt trapped. The mountains were my prison bars. I despised anything that had to do with Appalachia. I didn't want to be associated with the ideas that people had about the area. Racist. Welfare. Living in the past. Ignorance. Incest. As soon as I graduated high school, I hit the road and got as far away as I possibly could. But inevitably, I felt a pull back to the mountains. Things are different now. I don't feel trapped anymore. I think a large part of that has to do with the internet. We've modernized. We have cell phones, Instagram, hipsters, diversity. We even have Jennifer Lawrence. Your Oscar. My parents took it back to Kentucky because I felt I felt odd. Yeah, the area still struggles with poverty, obesity, and addiction. But honestly, what parts of America don't have those exact problems? They're not unique to this region. So for this summer, I'm going to be traveling around Appalachia, camping, couch surfing, sleeping in my car, whatever I need to do to bring you stories. I'm giving the microphone to people who don't fit into the typical poverty porn narrative spooned out by the media. Our first story is called The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. Be advised, it contains graphic depictions of violence. Welcome to the Tennessee Valley Unitarian Universalist Church. If the South is the Bible Belt, the Northeast Tennessee is the buckle. Where we strive to be a community people take people their religion very seriously. They say that there's more churches than there are people. Last year, my sister invited me to attend a service at her church in Knoxville. It was a beautiful building on a street lined with churches. I'll admit that as a former religious zealot, who is now an openly queer non-believer, I was nervous, but it wasn't like the hellfire and brimstone churches I grew up in. This church was inclusive, and they were very warm and welcoming to me. I never would have guessed that a hate crime massacre had taken place there. A man is reported to be in custody following a mass shooting at a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Received a call of a shooting. The shooting happened while children from the church's summer musical theater workshop were putting out a performance. Good morning, Maggie. There were almost 200 people inside this church here, here to see a children's play of Annie Jr. when... 58-year-old gunman walked in with a 12-gauge shotgun, a bag full of ammunition, and began firing. The gunman killed two people and wounded seven. Swarms of media descended on the church, trying to get interviews with shell-shocked congregants just hours after the shooting. In one of the most moving clips, here they are talking to teenager Taylor Bissett about his foster father. I understood that Mr. McKendry actually stood in front. That's my father. He stood in front of the bullets between a child and the gunman. What's his situation now? He died. 
week later, a devastated reverend struggled to address his congregation in the same room where the bloodshed had taken place. He came into this space to inflict death, and he took away the lives of two precious people, wounded six others, traumatized the rest of us, traumatized our community and the world. The congregation was left to pick up the pieces of their lives. The Reverend Chris Bice had the heavy burden of trying to counsel his congregation through such a dark time. He's a geeky man who doesn't take himself too seriously. In fact, he's so geeky that he was featured on an episode of Trek Nation. I asked Reverend Chris Bice of the Tennessee Valley Unitarian Church where God might be hiding in Star Trek. It's comedic gold. This is the question that Captain Kirk asks as he stands on the planet Shankari. Those of you who have been members or friends of this church for any length of time know that my sermons are sometimes a journey from irreverence to reverence. The Reverend agreed to sit down and talk to me about the shooting, but more importantly, how he and his congregation have overcome the violence. Can you describe like what the room looks like for people? Oh yeah. Uh, This is a a big sanctuary with uh, a lot of room for natural light to flood in. We like to say that our church is a place of light for all people. And the windows are uh, set up so that you can see the hillside, you can see trees. There's often I see a groundhog up there. I feel like that I have a relationship with. (laughs) I'll just peer up and the groundhog is paying attention to my sermon or something. This is the door where the uh, shooter walked in. He described a scene that sounded like something from the movie Desperado. He was carrying a guitar case, uh, and he set it down on the ground and opened it up and pulled out a shotgun. Some people saw what he was doing but didn't believe it. It was in the context of a theatrical production. And, you know, is he part of the play? Or, you know, there were a number of different questions. The seat's not like it is now, but there were seats lined up this way, and he opened fire here and uh, killed Greg McKendry, Linda Crager, and injured eight others. Joe Barnhart was hit by more than 20 shotgun pellets when a gunman attacked the Tennessee Valley Unitarian Universalist Church. Among the injured, three of Barnhart's family members. And I thought I'd been hit in the back. And I lay there, and I thought... Well, Linda is, looks dead, and I'm dying. And, uh, and then I, I thought, well, I can't breathe, and this is the way it is to die. The Reverend led me you to a blue curtain near the stage. Um, we uh, deliberately kept uh, some shotgun... Uh, wounds I guess into the building just so that we've got a curtain that covers it but if uh, people want to remember the the place sort of like we didn't want to cover it all up you know we wanted to have a place where you could come and remember what happened tiny holes uh, were scattered in the wall Ann Barber was in this room with a group of kids and she had them all pushed back this way so fortunately uh, no, no children were hurt. Uh, that was really one of the miracles of that day, that no children were hurt. So, um. This is Marty Murphy talking to the press from behind the wheel of her minivan. I did see them giving, I'm pretty sure they were giving uh, 
CPR on uh, Greg McHenry. The kids did run up here to the Presbyterian Church, the ones that were standing next to the shooter. Okay. One little girl had blood all over her, all over her. She is hysterical. I don't know how that child's going to go to sleep tonight. What happened immediately after uh, the shooting? And, and oh, pandemonium. Just pandemonium. And uh, people, oh, these people are just throwing up. Uh, see, the shooting happened on the right-hand side of the east side of the church, on this side, the Presbyterian Hello. Hi, this is Jackie. Hi, Karen. I called up Taryn Dixon, who was just 10 at the time, performing in the Annie play when the shooting started. I apologize for the bad audio quality. Okay, and do you want to, like, describe um, how you remember that day? Yeah, I can do that. I remember coming in that morning. It was our um, first actual performance of the show, Annie Jr., that we've been working on for two weeks. The show started, and we walked in. I was so proud and excited to be a part of it. Um, and everything was going great. We we were in the first scene where the orphans, I was one of the orphans, we were sleeping um, in our little beds on the stage. Suddenly there was a huge deafening boom. I shot up, my head shot up, and I looked around, and I was just really confused. I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe... My first thought, actually, was that we were being bombed by North Korea, but I was 10. I felt like sparks had fallen on me. Like, I I think now that my nerves were set off, maybe just by the shock but I felt my whole body tingle just from the sound. Reverend Bice had the day off and was a couple hours away attending a concert. Do you remember your initial thoughts whenever you got the phone call? I'm very good at denial. <laughs> and uh, my daughter was with me, and so I'm getting phone calls that says Greg McKendry's dead, and, uh, and, uh, I just remember, you know, my daughter's over here, and it's like, well, let's get there and find out what happened. <laughs> like, I, you know, who can who can trust what somebody would say over the phone? While remembering it, he started anxiously tapping and rubbing on the table, so that's the noise you hear in the background. I had to, I kept repeating the same words, both verbally and in my mouth, as I was driving over. Was there are more ways to get this wrong than get it right? I said that over and over again. There are more ways to get this wrong than get it. More ways to get it wrong. There are more ways to get this wrong than get it right. I meant it more like you just need to be very, 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 very careful and very, very, very kind and very, very, very. Just there's just you know the sensitivities will be so intense and the wounds so hard that that just just gonna have to bring an extra level of vigilance to it. So it actually helped. It wasn't undermining. After the first one, there was a big commotion of people, and then there was a second one. And my director was at the back of the sanctuary, um, and she yelled for everybody to get out. And I went out the door, and I walked. I followed the people in front of me, and we took shelter behind some bushes. I was like, 
this is stupid. If we're being bombed, we need to go underground. I was so confused, and I was just whispering to myself, oh, God, I, I don't know. And I stayed behind those bushes. People were slowly evacuating the church out of those doors. And um, and I heard from a distance my dad he was screaming my name. And it was so desperate. And he came flying around the corner of the bushes. And he saw me. And he was running so fast. And he just, like, slid on his knees and hugged me, like, tackled me to the ground in a hug. He was crying, and he slid on the grass, and at the moment, I was, Dad, your pants, you're going to have grass stains. No, he just held me and cried. When the Reverend finally got there, the church was an active crime scene. Uh, the police wouldn't let me into the building, so I turned around and went right to the hospital. Tammy Summers, who was, uh, who was very critically injured, I didn't even recognize her. I mean, it was the, the damage to her was so bad. And I was asked, I was asked to identify her because she was in a coma, and I honestly couldn't. And that was, uh, but it was, it was physically altering. I mean, it's just a physically altering uh, experience. And plus, it's part of the trauma is being dislocated mentally and everything. Myself. Um, we went home that day. I wanted to watch Star Wars, and I was pulling the couch over. And in doing that, I pushed over a table and knocked over my milkshake on the carpet. And I broke down crying because of the burden that I was putting on my family, having to clean up my milkshake. Yeah, so that that was that day. And then that night, all four of us slept in my parents' bed together. And I remember being really scared that the shooter was from some sort of organization that was going to hunt the rest of us down from the church. I was scared that it wasn't over. But it was. The vigil was held at the church down the street. Before the service began, some of the youth had come up and said, we want to sing. And they wanted to sing a song from the show that it had been disrupted by uh, violence. They asked us to stand up in front of the sanctuary and sing tomorrow and you got to imagine this sanctuary is packed it is packed there are people sitting in the floors they're sitting sitting on the floors of the of, of the around the altar there's just every space is packed here and there are people standing outside in the rain and at the very end of the service uh, the music director looked at me and nodded which meant she had the music and she hit the chords and the kids stood up and started singing the sun will come out tomorrow from Annie, and I don't know, there's not a dry eye in the house, nor is there dry eyes that tell the story. So. That's when I think it really hit me, and I started crying, and I couldn't stop. If you need to take a break or anything, you let me know. That's okay. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> After a couple days, reporters loaded back in their vans and sped off to the next bloody spectacle. The nation's attention span moved on to the next terrible tragedy, but it's never over for the people affected by it. Reverend Chris began having physical symptoms because of the stress. In the immediate aftermath of the shooting, I got this rash in my palms that, I don't know, it's like a stress-related disorder, and I have a a member of my church who's always handing me 
like gag gifts, like uh, wash, wash away, away your, your sins, sins, moist, moist towelettes. Towelette. <laughs> the package claims that it's heavenly scented and has an antibacterial formula that kills sins on contact. And she started calling it my stigmata. So, although, you know, she was joking, there, I, there was something to it. <laughs> It was a really tough time. It was a really, it was a real, a real crucifixion experience. So, in case number eight nine eight zero two, sir, are you guilty as charged in count one to first degree murder of Gregory McKenzie? It was charged. In count three, are you guilty as charged to first degree murder of Linda Craig? It was charged. The shooter pled guilty to all counts and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I quickly learned that I don't, I did not need to be the historian. I needed to be the minister, and I need to be able to listen to multiple different stories. One traumatic thing can happen to five people and they will respond five different ways. And some people will have no permanent injury or no even, you know, maybe even the next day they'll be fine, but other people will take, you know, years or decades and that's a reality. That was actually one of the things that uh, the shooter was very angry about was he wrote a manifesto that's the first line in the manifesto if i'm remembering it correctly was this is a hate crime um, hated black people hated women hated gay lesbian bisexual transgender hated a lot of people a man who opened fire in the sanctuary said in a manifesto in his own handwriting that he wanted to stop the liberal movement and yet we say to kill someone is not to stop the liberal movement. It is to kill someone. Uh, this is a picture of Greg McKendry. Oh, we put this picture here right in the middle of our fellowship hall. Not only to remember how he died, but to remember how he lived. He loved social events. He loved big When events. I was planning his memorial, I asked the family what sort of readings would be appropriate. And his son said, do you have any good recipes? Very unconsciously, the picture of Greg is next to the statue of Buddha, and they go together. It works. It, it works. Greg was larger than life. We shall remember him. Could you guys name the library, I believe, after? Yeah. Our new library will be named in honor of Linda Crager, who is an author and a scholar. She wrote books about religion and religious freedom. So it's the Linda Lee Crager Library. She was an author. This particular bookshelf is her books, the ones she wrote and the ones that she owned. We shall remember her. I always say uh, Greg McKendry had a heart of gold. We remember his heart of gold. In remembering Linda, we remember her mind on fire. Linda Crager had a mind on fire. They were just, you know, that was who they were.
as like the you know the spiritual counselor all these people and stuff like do you ever get to the point where you don't really want to talk about it anymore I did get to that point and uh, I actually got to the point where listening where essentially doing my job as minister was hurting me and I was here um, four four years uh, after I took an extended leave so it really took that was like you know to do it any sooner would have not been realistic but it but it was exactly when I needed it psychologically it was actually hurting me to hear the stories again and uh, I was it was putting me in a, a dark space um, part of it being the repetitiveness of it they're very similar to it in, in the sort of uh, so I took some time off and I came back and I, I knew it worked when I, I mean to, to this day I can hear this I can listen to the stories now and I can hear the stories and I don't I'm not the guy who needs to get up from the table <laughs> if somebody brings it up um, yeah, but there was a point where I was. Um, like, and this may be too personal to do this. Yeah. You don't have to answer. But like, where you were gone and stuff, like, did you regret like not being here that day, or were you glad that you had space? I spent some time. I think it's normal to f- uh, to feel like I also I say I can't remember how long I felt like I should have been here, but it wasn't very long before I realized the fact that I wasn't here allowed me to be a more effective first responder than I would have otherwise been. That doesn't mean I didn't have, you know, both my kids were traumatized too. You didn't have to be in the building to be traumatized. Some of the people who were most traumatized were walking through an airport in California and all suddenly they see their church. I have a, a, a very close friend who that was... Uh, that was his experience. He was walking through an airport and saw, you know, saw the church, and you know, that was just, just the, just the gap between you and your friend, the gap between you and your, you know, that place. Community is what the Reverend credits as helping them heal the most. People from all faiths came to surround them with love. They cooked food for weeks, gave them hugs, and a shoulder to cry on. He came into this space with the desire to do an act of hatred, but he has unleashed unspeakable amounts of love. And I remember getting a thousand peace cranes from the children at Webb School of Knoxville, and I still have my chain of peace cranes. But it was, our church was everybody's church that day, and everybody had a sense of their safety had been violated. Presbyterian Church and many other holy places throughout the week. A gathering of Christians and Jews, Muslims and Buddhists, believers and unbelievers, crowded in the aisle, sitting on the stage, standing outside in the rain, holding hugging, and helping each other to heal. This was not just Unitarians, but this was really uh, deeper. Gay and straight. Instead, his actions united us, making us more willing to listen to each other, care for each other, respect each other, support each other, and let's be honest. And what I felt, and this is the kind of the lasting experience for me, that there's a love greater than our differences, that there is a love that is more powerful than our differences. And he took away the lives of two precious people 
wounded six others, traumatized the rest of us, traumatized our community and the world, but strangely, at the same time, reminding us of the preciousness of our children, the sacredness of life and this moment in time, the true value of friendship and family and how much we need good neighbors. So there's a very conservative Presbyterian minister who is absolutely on the opposite side of the culture wars from me. <laughs> uh, came in the door and gave me the most beautiful bear hug I have ever gotten. He was crying and he was shaking and he was shaking to the core. And, uh, uh, you know, and so we were human beings that day. And a man sought to isolate us and alienate us but our community surrounded us with love, and they said, don't shut us out, let us in. And we did, and we have been enriched by that experience. And that is re that's reality. That's the heart of reality. The reality is that there is no way to be ignorant, only to combat it with unconditional love and understanding alongside comprehensive edu education. A couple of days ago, I went to a vigil for the victims of the Orlando Gay Club shooting. And I hope that somehow we can all come together and say that we've had enough of this, that we don't want to lose anyone else to violence, and hope that one day we don't have to light any more candles to remember people, because they'll still be here. Thanks for listening to Backwoods. I would like to thank my right-hand man, Jimmy Gutierrez, for all his help with editing and producing. Susie Kelly from Hammer Down Design for our fabulous logo. Our theme and closing music was by This Mountain, a kick-ass band from Johnson City, Tennessee. Check them out. Thank you so much to Jeff Town for his audio skills and Harmony Witty for her episode artwork. Special thanks goes to Emily Fair, Beth Ohabda, Kira Gillen, Brenna Daldorf, David Gabakshi, Sally Helms, and Martine Powers. Please subscribe to us on iTunes so other people can find the show, and you can send us messages or comments on Facebook under Backwoods Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Have a good one.